You know, we've, uh, we've been hearing a lot about fear lately, right? See, part of the COVID season has created some fears. It's revealed some fears and anxieties that some people have, and it's really prompted a lot of conversation regarding fear, and it's provoked some of our fears. And now we're wondering uh, when we live in fear and when we don't live in fear and all of these types of fear-related thoughts. And I think, you know, when we think about fear, what are, what are you afraid of? Like, we have a long list of things that we can find ourselves afraid of. Are you afraid of spiders? Are you afraid of heights? Are you afraid of government conspiracies? Are you afraid of speaking in public? Are you afraid of death? We know that there are a long list of fears out there. I know for me, one of my silly fears, uh, needles, not a fan of needles. Uh, to this day, getting shots, uh, having my blood drawn, not a, not a huge fan. I have to really muster up the courage to do that. Um, it's just kind of one of my little fears. Probably a bigger fear for me that I walk around that's more substantial would just be knowing that my kids love the Lord or walking with the Lord because we know the weight of that and how significant that is. But we all have fears in our life. And some of those fears are helpful and healthy fears that God has put in place to keep us from danger, right? And so when you're on the very edge of a cliff and there's nothing to hold you, there's fear that will overcome you. That's, that's from God saying, this, is, this could really be bad for you, all right? And so there's healthy fears. But there's also harmful fears, fears that are debilitating in nature, fears that are irrational, that a lot of times will paralyze us and cause anxiety in our life. And then there's one fear that we all need to have. It's a fear that we should all share in common. Humanity should share this in common, but especially the body of Christ should share this fear in common. And Jesus told us to have this fear. So, pop quiz. Anyone want to take a guess of what the fear is? Any guesses? Fear of God. I can hear it through the muffled masks in the room, right? Fear of God. Absolutely. This is a good fear. It's a healthy fear. It's a right fear. Now, fearing God doesn't mean that we're terrorized by God, that we find ourselves cowering in a corner uh, thinking God's going to strike us with a lightning bolt anytime we take one little misstep. But obviously, uh, having a fear of God is also not the other extreme where it's kind of this like nod to the big guy upstairs who, you know, he just kind of gives us a dirty look when we do something wrong and he has no ability to execute justice or discipline upon our lives when we are living in sin. And so we have this interesting tension with the fear of God. And fearing God is a holy fear. It's rooted in the understanding that God is loving and just, that he rewards and he punishes. Fearing God means that we have a high value of God, and we live in awe and reverence and respect of his holiness and his righteousness and his greatness and his majesty and his power. We live with this sense of accountability that our thoughts and our actions and our attitudes are under God. He sees them all, and we're accountable to him for those thoughts and attitudes and actions. I like the way that another pastor, John Piper, said it. He said, fearing God means that God is, in your mind and heart, so powerful, so holy, so awesome, that you would not dare to run away from him, but only to him. And so here's the thought that I would like us all to rally around today as we think about fears that we experience and, and even the fear of having fear and all of those things is when we lack the fear of God in our lives, we fear what we shouldn't and we don't fear what we should. 
I want you to think about that for a minute. When we lack the fear of God in our lives, we fear what we shouldn't, and we don't fear what we should. And so today, my hope for all of us watching online, for all of us here in this room, is that we will develop a new or renewed sense of fear, appropriate fear of God, that will keep you close to God, that will allow you to experience the hope and the joy and the peace uh, that come with knowing that um, although we're imperfect and we fail, that there's a God who loves us, but is also a God who will discipline us when we need it, and knowing that we live under his mighty rule. And we're going to look at a passage today. I invite you to turn there right now to Luke chapter 12. So open up your Bibles. If you're sitting on a couch in your living room, um, or whether you're here in this room, open up your Bibles or a Bible app to Luke 12. And we're going to look at a passage, uh, a portion of Scripture, where Jesus talks about the fear of God. And we're going to see some verses before and after uh, this kind of hinge passage. And I'm going to uh, propose to you today that there are six signs, six indicators that we can look for based on this text when we start to lose the fear of God. And so I invite you to, to look at that right now. Now, what we're about to dive into is a moment where Jesus is spending some time with his disciples in the presence of thousands, maybe even an upward of 10,000 people. There's thousands of people around. He's focusing on his disciples, and he's trying to give them warnings and encouragements that will help them walk out their life as they live in a world that's hostile to the Christian faith and hostile to those who follow Jesus. Jesus. And so that's what's really taking place in this moment. And we're going to join the people from 2,000 years ago listening to Jesus by reading these red letters and trying to draw an understanding from it. Look at Luke 12, starting with verse 1. We'll go all the way through verse 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling on one another, right? This is a huge crowd. He began to say to his disciples, first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before the Son of Man before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about uh, how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Some really powerful verses here, and what I want to draw out of them is six signs, you know, when 
you're losing your fear of God based on what we just read. The first one is, you know you're losing your fear of God when you become hypocritical. You're becoming hypocritical. Look what he says there in verses 1 through 3. He's saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, leaven, as we know, is that starter agent. It's that yeast that you put into the dough so that it it works its way through the whole dough, quietly, sneaky, and then the whole dough is impacted and rises. He's saying hypocrisy is the same way. This hypocrisy, which they saw in the life of the Pharisees, these religious leaders that were critics of Jesus, their, their double standard, their covering of sin, their legalism, their false doctrine, uh, their comfort with you know, compromise, all these things, if it works its way into your life, it'll start to permeate your whole life. A little bit of hypocrisy will start to corrupt your whole life. And a little bit of hypocrisy in, in the body of Christ will start to corrupt the whole body of Christ. And so I said, you've got to be on guard against this. And he basically says, everything that's been hidden, and if you did it in a dark corner, if you, if you did it when you thought you were getting away with it, whatever you whispered in secret, all these things that you've covered up, one day, and he's talking about the future, right? The return of Christ, the judgment that God is going to, one day it's all going to be visible for everybody to see. So we have to take this at face value. Whatever has been concealed will be revealed, specifically our hypocrisy. And so he uses this metaphor, the leaven, to get that across. And so what we see here is that in our desire to impress people, to to be good with people, in our desire for self-interest or self-preservation, we can easily start to become hypocritical and live a double life. And if we start to get comfortable with that, here's what that little, you know, light on our dashboard is saying. You are losing the fear of God because you're getting comfortable with your hypocrisy. And so I want you to think about what that means for us, you know, today, that basically everything that we have done in dark, in the dark, everything that we've typed and we thought we deleted, everything that we have said in the dark rooms, there's going to be a day coming that that which we thought we got away with, that which we covered up, God is going to flip on the light switch for everyone to see. It'll be public knowledge before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the mystery for us as Christians is how that's going to play out. Because we know for the unbeliever, as we read through the Bible, that there's going to be a state of condemnation that will cost you your soul for eternity in that moment. For the believer, your eternity is secure, but you start to understand the concepts about rewards in heaven and praise from God and all these things. I don't know what it's going to look like, but there's going to be this moment where everything we've ever done is going to be exposed for God to see, for all to see. God sees it now. And somehow the blood of Christ is going to cover that, but it's still a moment that we should be very aware of nervous of, like honestly, if that doesn't put the fear of God in you, that everything you've done in secret is going to be visible for all, (laughs) I don't know what will, right? And so what happens is if we start to lose the fear of, of God, we start to become comfortable with hypocrisy. Second, you know you're losing the fear of God if you're fearing man. Look what Jesus said in verse 4. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. Jesus knew that the fear of persecution and the fear of being mocked or even death could weaken the witness of the disciples in the crowd that day. And also because of our human natural tendency to avoid pain 
pain and avoid discomfort, right? That's, that's part of our makeup. We want to avoid pain and avoid discomfort. Even if it means, ooh, these people think, you know, they, they think weird about me, so I'm going to kind of dial down the Jesus thing. Or um, they're threatening me with, with something that's going to make me feel like I have to, to back off my love for Jesus, my expression of Jesus. He's saying, don't fear man. What's the worst that man can do to you? They can take your physical life. And of course, that's an unpleasant experience. Of course, no one's like, sign me up for that one, right? But at the same time, it's like, that's the, that's the ultimate thing they can do is to take your physical life. But as believers in Christ, we know that, that that's not the end. That actually catapults us into the next uh, beginning, right? Eternity with the Lord. And so if the worst you can do to me is take my life, you, you can't touch my eternity. You can't touch my peace. You can't touch my hope. You can't touch my relationship with God. All you can do is take my last breath. And of course, that's an unpleasant experience, but it's the worst you can do to me. And so we don't need to fear man because it, mankind will threaten us. And, and, and we don't really live in a world right now where we have deep persecution, where our homes are being burned down and our loved ones are being killed and slaughtered and, and a lot of the intense persecution we see historically for believers. I mean, maybe that day will come for us. We don't know. But all that say that the worst humans can do is take our life. Don't fear man because God can do so much more. And so followers of Christ have been liberated from the fear of death because our eternity is secure. We know we're going to be in heaven. We're going to know we, we can be in Christ so we can live this life with great courage, great boldness, not backing down when, when people mistreat us or even uh, threaten to martyr us. But Jesus didn't just stop there. I want to kind of cut to verses 11 and 12. He said not only that, he said, but when people drag you in, not, by the way, when you look here in verse 11 and 12, it says, when they bring you before, not if, it says, when they bring you before synagogues and the rulers and authorities. He's saying, look, there's going to be a time when they're going to drag you before hostile religious institutions or they're going to drag you before hostile government institutions that are going to try to force you and threaten you to not follow Jesus or punish you for following Jesus. And so he's saying, when that happens, you don't need to be afraid because I'm going to show up. And the Holy Spirit of God is going to tell you what to say in that very hour. So you don't need to be afraid when man brings you before these tribunals to, to punish you or threaten you. And so really, one of the ways we know that we're losing our fear of God is all of a sudden we're beginning to fear man more. And so if we have a big fear of God, we'll have a little fear of man. And if we have a big fear of, um, or a little fear of God, then we'll have a big fear of man. And we don't want to be caught in those crossfires. That means we're going to start losing our love or our fear and our love for God. Thirdly, you also know you're losing your fear of God if you're not fearing hell. Ooh, our favorite topic. Don't we love to talk about hell? It's our favorite, right? Verse 5 says, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So this is tied to the previous thought, that we don't fear man, because the worst he can do is take our life, but we have a very healthy respect of God, a, a, a fear of God that says God doesn't just stop with ending the physical life. He has the ability, and by his righteous nature, the responsibility to then take the sinning person who has no remorse and has rejected Christ and assign him to an eternity in hell. And this is one of the many places that Jesus talks about the reality of hell. This isn't a fictional storybook place. 
Multiple times Jesus speaks of hell as a real place. So we know that hell is real because Jesus spoke of hell as a real place. And so, so yeah, it's awkward. It's unpleasant. It's not our favorite topic. We try to dodge this. This is where, like in the series, we talk about no filter. A lot of times you'll see people put a filter over the topic of hell. Like, well, you know, really what God meant by hell is like just the bad experiences you have in your life. No, that's not what he meant. He meant there's a literal physical place that you'll spend eternity if you reject God. Okay, and reject the son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. Like, it's a real, literal place. And so we don't want to put a filter over our understanding of hell. And so, yeah, it's not our favorite topic. It's uncomfortable. And it's painful to think that we or our loved ones could end up there. But quite honestly... We stop uh, having a respect for God, a fear for God that reminds us that he has that authority and ability. And we start to get so consumed with what's happening on earth. And so even talking about some of the things that we've been talking, you know, mentioning here, like just listening as a pastor going, a lot of people are talking about the fear of man and what man can do and what's, what are they doing here and what are they doing here? And there's this obsession with earthly issues which are near and dear to our heart, which are important, but not as important as our eternity. And so what should lead us and what we should be most passionate about is our eternity. And the fear of God keeps us rooted that God has an amazing heaven, an incredible eternity beyond description for those who know him, love him, have received Christ, live in Christ. But there is a flip side where there's a very real hell, a place of punishment, a place you don't want to go for those who live as a rejection of Christ. And so you know you're starting to not fear God when you stop losing the fear of hell. And it's almost like you need to be reminded that the place exists. The fourth sign you know that you're also losing your fear of God is if you're doubting God's care for you. This is what I love about this moment. Jesus is teaching, and he's saying, like, here's some right fears, here's some wrong fears, here's some good fears. If, if you fear God, you don't need to be afraid of these things. If, if, you, if you are not fearing God, you're going to be afraid of these things. He's walking through that, and he's giving these warnings, and then he puts this encouragement in. And I just love this. And so look again at verse 6. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. And then verse 7 says, Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than sparrows. Jesus is clarifying just how much value people have in the eyes of God. Now, sparrows were the cheapest birds you could buy. Clearly, you get five for a couple pennies. Uh, some of you think, oh, those might be cute pets, perhaps. A lot of times, it just ended up as food, right? And so it was food for the poor, because you could buy five of them for just a few cents. And he's saying, God is so all-knowing. His omniscience covers that even those sparrows, if five of them are sold for a couple pennies and they end up in a stew pot for someone, God knows. And, and, and what happened to them doesn't go without his awareness. And so if that's the case for a bird which we might feel is insignificant, how much more value do you have as a child of God that he knows what's going on in your life? He knows what's bringing you to tears. He knows what's putting a smile on your face. He knows what's hurting your heart. He knows what you're struggling with. And he cares. And he values you. And what might seem trivial to you, he knows about it and he cares. And some of the massive things going on in your life, he knows about it and he cares. So in the midst of these warnings, Jesus is placing this great encouragement of God's care. Now, I know a lot of times... When we start to lose our fear of God, what happens is we start to question God's goodness. 
and we, we start to question his ways and why he does things and how he does things. And then we start to wonder about his goodness for us and how he cares for us. And if you start to lose the fear of God and don't have that awe for him, it becomes very easy to become a critic of God. And then you start to judge God for what you think he's doing or isn't doing right. And I just, I want to call you back to some words that we've shared here multiple times as a church. The words known by um, the, the author and theologian and pastor Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s. He said, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. And so when we look at our lives, there are just things that we're not going to know why we're going through them right now. But we have to trust God. And that trust is rooted in the fear of God. And once you start to question God's goodness and care for your life, it means the fear of God is decreasing in your life. The fifth sign that we see here is you know you're also losing your fear of God if you're not confessing a faith in Jesus. Look at verse 8 and 9 again. Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. This is very straightforward. Jesus is basically saying, the person who associates with me, who's not embarrassed of me, ashamed of me, who not just with their lips, by the way, this is not a one-time, like I said, that prayer in third grade moment. This is a person who acknowledges Christ through their words and their actions. So they're living in obedience to Christ. doesn't mean they live perfect. They're going to mess up. But ultimately, they come back to a place of repentance, and they get back on relationship with God. It says, this person who acknowledges me and says, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, I'm about Jesus. If they do that before the people on earth, I will do that before God the Father and the angels in heaven. And if you deny me on earth then I'll deny you in heaven. This, this is a hard teaching. Jesus is being really clear here. He's acknowledging that a public confession of him is going to re- result in a public confession of us from him. And so that's when, when God's going to be like, that woman right there, she's mine. That guy over there, he's mine. And that day that comes in heaven at the final judgment, he's going to declare that we are his as we move into that next season, this eternity. But for now, something that would happen naturally from those of us who know Christ, love Christ, and fear God. Because we're not afraid of man. And so as you start to feel that awkwardness, you're like, ooh, I'm starting to get embarrassed of Jesus. I don't, people, I don't, I don't think I want people to know I'm a Christian right now. Like that, that, is a, that starts to uh, creep into that denial of Christ instead of acknowledging Christ. You don't want to be aggressive and weird about it. We're just not ashamed of our Savior. And if he publicly died for us on the cross for our sins, then we need to be bold and unashamed about publicly admitting that we love him and follow him. And there's going to be an eternal exchange that happens in the future. But the fear of God plays a big role in this truth. And if you are starting to find yourself really not acknowledging Christ, it's a sign that you're losing fear of God. It's dangerous. And then the last sign that you're also losing your fear of God is this. If you're persistently resisting the Spirit of God. This next verse is one of the most vexing, controversial verses in Scripture that's really plagued a lot of people, and there's been a lot of conversation around it. Verse 10 says, Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Some of you recognize this verse. It's known as the unpardonable sin. 
And so really what it means is that, uh, you know, Jesus is saying something very confusing at first. He's saying, if you speak against the Son of Man, if you speak against me, it can be forgiven you. It's like, well, how, how can I do that? But then it says, if I speak against the Holy Spirit or blaspheme the Holy Spirit, I can't be forgiven. What's the exchange that's taking place here? So let's just go back to the original audience. Jesus is speaking to a crowd of thousands. Have these people seen the crucifixion yet? No. Have they seen the resurrection or heard about it yet? No. And so for the crowds, there are those who are true believers. They, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one God sent to save them. But a lot of people are still trying to figure Jesus out. And so they're listening to his teachings. They've heard about his miracles. They've seen his miracles. But it's still going to be very easy for a lot of them to be like, ah, I don't know. This is like some kind of crazy rabbi. Uh, this guy, I, I think he thinks he's the Messiah that we've been waiting on for like, you know, hundreds of years. So... You know, he's, he's not all there. And so there's definitely people in the crowd that are not speaking highly of Jesus. But what Jesus is saying is there's still going to be time for them to get the right information in place and hear and all of a sudden make a more fully informed decision as the crucifixion and resurrection unfold. And so I want you to think about the Apostle Paul, right? For those of you familiar with the Apostle Paul, here's a man who was a, um, a persecutor of the Christian faith. Did he speak against Christ? Absolutely. But what happened? He had a moment where he met the resurrected Christ. He had a moment where he was changed. He was forgiven. And then he became this incredible missionary for the Lord. And so that's a great example. But what about those who are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit? What is that? Well, the word blasphemy is to speak against. And probably what was fresh on the mind of the disciples in this moment is something that we looked at in our teaching a few weeks ago. That during the ministry of Jesus, the religious Pharisees and all of Jesus' critics would look at the miracles that he did, the healings that he did, the teachings that he gave, and said, he's doing all of this. He's, he's healing blind people and lame people and raising people from the dead by the power of the devil. So really, it's revealing the condition of the critic. If this person has such a hard heart and their eyes are so spiritually closed that they're ascribing the works of God the flesh to the devil, that is definitely a blasphemy of the spirit. But we know we can really click on that understanding and and broaden it. So blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is speaking negatively against God and, and, and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all of that. But it's also how we live our life. It's not about a moment moment where you said something, you know, it's, it's about the collective of your life. And so even like tied to the previous passage about acknowledging Jesus or not acknowledging Jesus, uh, think about Peter. Peter denied Jesus, right? But do you think he still was a believer in his heart? Absolutely. How do we know that? He had a moment of weakness where he lacked courage. But it says he wept bitterly about it, and then he ended up having a moment of uh, restoration with Jesus, and then he went on to change the world for Christ. But then you look at Judas, who hung out with Peter and Jesus and all the other disciples, saw what they saw, heard what they heard, experienced what they experienced, but his heart got increasingly hard in the situation to where he betrayed Jesus. And so you really can see the one who might have spoke against but got restored versus the one who's like, no, I, I don't buy this. I'm not going to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so understanding the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is realizing the role of the Holy Spirit as a person, God, the third part of the Trinity, who's always drawing us to Christ. 
He's, he's, he's convicting us of sin. He's drawing us to Christ. And what he's doing is he's testifying to Jesus. And he's putting a spotlight on who Jesus is. And what happens for the person who blasphemes the Holy Spirit is they resist what the Holy Spirit is teaching them about Jesus. And just like the Pharisees, their hearts get hard. And Judas, right? Their hearts get hard. And then their eyes, their spiritual eyes, get like clamped shut. And at that point in time, I don't need Jesus. I'm not a sinner. I don't need any help. I've got this. And I'm not, I, don't, you know, I don't buy any of it. And they just come to this place of hardness and resistance. How can there be forgiveness for a person in that state when Christ comes? You don't want to be there. You don't want to be in a place where you're like, no, life's about me, not God. And all this Jesus stuff, that's nonsense. And as the Holy Spirit's trying to convict you and draw you and push you to Jesus, you're like, nope, 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 I'm not going to do it. I'm resistant. So understanding the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is understanding that it's this lifelong, chronic condition where you continue to deny and resist and push away what the Holy Spirit's telling you about Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And for that person, there's no forgiveness because they don't even want it. And so we know that, that that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And if you have loved ones in that state right now, pray for them, that God opens their eyes and that they become responsive. And that's you. Pray that God would open your eyes and touch your heart and make you responsive to his drawing in his life. Clearly, these people lack the fear of God. Of course, embedded in all this for the believer is just a joy underneath that that's not our condition. <laughs> that because we know Christ, believe in Christ, on the contrary, there's forgiveness, there's heaven, there's joy, there's confidence, there's an identity as a child of God that can't be taken away. And so we don't need to fear. But our courage is rooted in a fear of God. Because if you fear God, you start to realize there are other things in life you don't need to fear. And if you don't fear God, you start to fear things you shouldn't and stop fearing the things you should. Now, I hope that none of these signs of losing fear of God are true for your life. I hope they don't have you... Um, uh, I hope that's not accurate to you. But if any of them seem a little concerning, maybe today is the, the wake-up call that God has for you to renew your fear in Him to try to get back into relationship with him because you don't want to continue to see your fear of God decrease because it could reveal a state of disbelief in your life that's been there from the beginning. And what's happened is this life has eroded it down and exposed disbelief and no fear. And so our hope and prayer is that the fear is there. We just need to continue to rally around that. Fearing the God of heaven gives us great confidence on this life on earth. You know, I want to share a quote here as we get ready to wrap it up from a very old theologian and a Christian pastor and author from the 1600s. His name is William Gurnall. He says, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. One fear cures another. When man's terrors scares you, turn your thoughts to the wrath of God. And so this is tough. This is tough to wrap your mind around. Like, we really have to understand that there's a living God who loves us fiercely, has offered forgiveness of sins through the death of Jesus on the cross, but he's also a just God who will punish sin, who will eternally punish those who resist, 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 and never give up. And he wants our hearts, and he wants our lives, and so we just have to surrender to him. So how is your fear of God today?
on what needs to change. Maybe today you can do a self-assessment based on those six areas. Like, is one of those areas a little uh, scarier for you than others? Is there an area that you feel really strong in and you can kind of celebrate that, no, I, I definitely haven't nailed it, but this is true of my life. What I want to do is I want us to just spend a few minutes in prayer to God. So I'm just talking about this right now. Uh, let's just spend some time talking to God about this fear that we need to have for him. And I want to lead you through three prompts right now just to do business with God. So whether you're home, you know, sitting there on your couch or the kitchen table on a device, or whether you're here in the room, let's just spend a couple minutes talking to the Lord about this. Would you just pray with me? Let's just go to prayer. Well, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the reminder that you are an awesome God, a holy God, one that we need to fear, respect, have awe, all of those things, because you're creator and you're master. And so right now, uh, hear our hearts. I just encourage you, would you just take a moment, just between you and, between you and God, and say, Lord, I fear you because. And just fill in the blank. Lord, I fear you because. And what is it that makes you still stand in awe of God? Would you just take a few seconds and tell the Lord those things? Some of us today um, are feeling very aware that we've lost some of the fear of God in our life. You know where that is. You know how it's showing up in your life. You know the dangers that come with it. Would you just take a, a minute and just confess those to the Lord? Would you just say, Lord, I've lost my fear of you in these areas. And would you just confess those things to the Lord right now? Just take, take a minute and just tell those things to the Lord. now in a spirit of restoration, asking God for help. Let's ask God to help us to live out a healthy and holy fear of him. So would you just say, Lord, help me to have a healthy and holy fear of you and show it by this. And just pray how God presses on your heart that you will live out your fear of God in this life. Just tell him how and ask him for help to do it. Well, Lord, you're holy and you're awesome and you're all-knowing and you're all-powerful. And Father, we confess that there's been many times that we have forgot just how awesome you are. And we have started to put ourselves in charge of our own lives and we've let our fear of you slip. I pray for all of us right now in the name of Jesus. Help us to take the steps we need to keep that fear of you alive. Thank you that we don't need to be terrified of you. Father, forgive us when we've been just very um, irreverent and uncaring about our relationship with you, but help us to walk out a life of awe and reverence for who you are and for what you've done. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said together. Amen. Hey, just a couple of response options I want to give you. Um, again, uh, we invite you to text with us. 
uh, especially those of you watching online, just kind of keep that touch-free thing going. But 440-276-5575 is the number that you can connect with us. If you're new, text that new. If you want to connect, like something that was talked about today, like I want to talk more about that, um, or it's, it, 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 it uh, revealed something in your life, you need some help, and we can help you out, text connect to that number. And then also, if you need Christ, if you either, if you either pray to ask Christ into your life, or you know you need Christ in your life today, text Jesus to that number, and then we will follow up with you. Also, just a reminder that we're so grateful for you and your faithfulness here at Cuyahoga Valley Church, and, and sometimes it's weird because we don't pass baskets and stuff, but uh, just a rem- reminder that we still want this ministry to run strong. Thank you for your faithfulness. You've been doing great, uh, but continue to give online here at CVC, and even today, have a, have a giving moment where you go online and give, or text to give, or use our app, or drop them in the boxes around the building if you are here in the building. But let's stand, and let's worship this awesome God who we fear and love and admire.